Hello and welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am Heather Hansen O'Neill. I am your host as always. And today our quote is by Meryl Streep. I want to feel my life while I'm in it. I like this one. And our guest today is Virginia Lacayo, PhD. She is a co-founder, CEO of Massive, a firm that coaches business leaders called to take on systemic change. Dr. Lacayo is a certified mindset coach, complexity scientist, and systemic leadership expert. Virginia is committed social entrepreneur and feminist activist who mentors women activists fighting for social justice throughout North America. So without further ado, let's bring her on. Hello, Virginia. How are you today? Good, Heather. Thank you for having me. I'm so really pleased to be here. I'm, I'm happy to have you. I would love to hear a little bit about your backstory. Tell us where you're from and how you got to where you are. All right. Um, I'm from Nicaragua. I'm actually that have dual citizenship because I was born in France, but I grew up in Latin America. So I consider myself Latina and that's most of my cultural heritage. So I'm I'm Latina, I'm immigrant here. I've been living here for many years, but I still have you know all the Latina culture with me. I um been an activist and been involved with social movement my whole life. I'm, I'm fascinated about human behavior and the human mind, both at the individual but also at the collective level. And so I for my my doctoral program, I specialize in communication for social change, but also in complexity science. And that's where really complexity science and system thinking allow me to understand more the collective mind and organizations, communities, societies, and how they work, but also how they change. And it's fascinating to see the difference between how we lead organizations and how we lead ourselves in a linear way and how complexity explains that actually we're not machines. We don't work as machines. We're not that predictable and controllable. We're more like a living as we are, a living organism and even societies are living organisms. So I've been helping, you know, through my life, I've been combining and adding and mixing and creating new theories based on everything I learned from my experience as an activist, as and as part of the social movements and leader, my knowledge on behavioral change and psychology and all that, and complexity science and coaching now to put together uh, what what I is a new methodology, is a new approach to help leaders that really want to make a big impact, what I call a dent in the universe, make like a shake the system, really challenging and force it to change in a way that is effective, both for them, for themselves, I mean, to make it sustainable and also to create an impact based on the way things really are and how things really work instead of the way we would like to. 
So that's a little bit of my background. It's a long story. And I have so many I'm stories. I'm sure it's even between. longer than that. Yeah, I'm sure you gave us the short version. It's fascinating. And I love what you're doing, in particular, working with people who want to make a dent in the universe, that that purpose. And so tell us about your mission. You know, is that your mission to help other people do their mission? I mean, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, it started, actually, I did an exercise when my, my, the first coach I have that was an amazing person, I, I respect her and love her a lot. She guided me through an exercise that is called, you know, like the life purpose kind of exercise. And there are many ways to understand and to figure it out what your life purpose is, why you're here, why you're meant to, to be and to do in this, in this life. But in that exercise, what it came up for me is that I use all my knowledge and my experience to help people to change their paradigms, to change the way they see themselves and they see others so they can change their surroundings, they change their environment. And when I look back, you know, I changed so much of careers that my father used to think that I don't know what I want, but actually for me makes total sense. Every step that I have gone through, you know, in my life is not to follow a career per se, but to follow my path, to follow my purpose. So I've been adding and adapting and adjusting and inventing and creating and reinventing things that lead me more in that direction that I want to have. And everything that I have done in the past is aligned with that purpose. So I've been a, an academic. I was a consultant. I was an activist. I've been, you know, a coach and a professor. And all, all that is really ways, different ways to help people to change the way they see their world, they see themselves, and they see their relationship with others and their environment. So that, that makes sense to me in that, in that way. You know, I, I it totally resonates with me because I find that it, mostly in the last couple of years, I can see from more of an aerial perspective, I can look back and say the things that I thought when I was immersed in it may have been mistakes or maybe I shouldn't have done that. No, not at all. It was exactly what I was supposed to do to learn the thing that I needed to learn to be the person that I need to be in order to follow my purpose, right? And so I completely understand what you're talking about. It makes perfect sense to me. And I love that you're doing that. That's fantastic. I do want to get a little bit more information about your background in social justice and activism. Can you share some stories or anything else about it? Oh, absolutely. I grew up in the 80s in Nicaragua during, so my whole childhood and my adolescence, really the, the, the years that you form your values, your perspective of the world, all those really essential fundamental years, I grew up in the middle of the war. So, you know, with the embargo, with um, having my friends, my my classmates actually being killed at the world and being very involved in everything that was that happened at that time that was a lot of violence but also a very strong sense of community and building a, a nation together and that shaped my values about social justice mostly I have to say mostly in terms of inequalities and class 
and maybe a little bit of racism. And so, and, and the community building and that we are really a tribe, that we are interconnected, what we need each other to actually achieve anything in life. That was very influential. But at the same time, I have a mother that was a feminist and that she was very involved in the women's movement. And through her, I kind of learned that even in the most utopian um places, you know, the, the dreams that at that time the Sandinista government was presenting Nicaragua and the project, the Nicaraguan project as the utopian world, you know, like where everybody was equal, with everybody has equal access on all that to conditions and rights. But as a feminist that I grew up with those feminist values, I start noticing how even in those conditions, some people are more equals than others. And that the people that were not as equals <laughs> were the what we call the minorities that actually is the majority of people, you know, women, young people, people with disabilities, people from different ethnicities, people from the queer community, et cetera, et cetera. We were like, okay, this project, this, this social project that is supposed to, to bring equality for everybody is not bringing equity for everybody. And that's where my really my activist um, profile starts to show up because I, I got really involved in the minority movements, you know, in the women's movement and youth movement and other movements. And I start fighting from that saying, this uh, is not just a matter of class. It's not just an economic issue. It's a human right issues. And we should address complex problems like, like such as complex, not just you know, complicated problems. It's not just like, let's fix the economy. Is what we do with social norms, with culture, with gender norms. What We have to address all those things at the same time to really reach a level where everybody feels uh, the, the right conditions, the opportunities, and the right to be themselves. So that's that's how I started. So it, it, I grew up in very hard conditions, so, so to speak, but I'm so grateful I did because the level of consciousness that I have right now and the level of empathy and understanding of inequalities and difference and, and oppression and discriminations are pretty high because of that experience. Mm, I, I, I can totally understand that. But, you know, it takes a special person to be able to say, this was incredibly difficult, but I'm grateful, right? I, I think that that's a gift that you've given yourself and others in how you show up in the world. I think that's really amazing. I'd like to get more into the details of complexity science for our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with it, and in particular, why business leaders might want to better understand it and even embrace it. Um, that's a topic that fascinates me because I, well, a little bit of background. I was um, in my early 20s. I I was part of the design and co-creation and direction and implementation of a huge communication strategy for social change. I was working for a nonprofit organization in Nicaragua at that time. And this communication strategy was not national, but regional, the whole Central American region. And we did, as part of that communication strategy, was a mixed method, mixed approach communication strategy that involves a television show that was extremely successful, was an edutainment um, 
edutainment product and edutainment is using pop culture like telenovelas on social subs or you know um sitcoms or radio or music or theater to convey social messages so we were we have a radio show a television show a youth camp uh very many alliances with hundreds of youth organizations and we put together a whole very holistic communication strategy and that communication strategy, but especially the television show that I was in charge of, has a massive impact. I mean, we did an, an impact evaluation after that, and it was so huge and so unpredictable because Nicaragua didn't have a television industry at that time. We didn't have an advertising industry. We have nothing. We started from scratch, and the people building this didn't have access to the theories, to the book in English, to everything that was happening in the world. You know, we were very isolated. And in spite of that, we have a massive impact. And the the point is that the show and the impact of the communication strategy start showing up on textbooks and being taught at universities. And so big organizations and foundations, the UN and other, you know, big organizations start approaching us saying like, how did you do that? How you achieve such su such an impact? And what is the theory behind that? And we were like, um, theory? <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what are you talking? What is a theory? You know, what what theory? No, we didn't have a theory. We worked together with, with the people, you know, with the organizations. And we come up with this in a collaborative process. But it was intriguing for us saying like, oh, right. We need a theory that explains why this was such an impactful project. So I, I'm always been kind of a nerd. So I volunteer as part of my organization. I say, I'm going to go back to grad school. I'm going to go back to college and get my master in communication for development. And then I stay for the, for the PhD to build that theory, to understand what happened and how we other organizations or other groups or communities or movement can reproduce this. So I went to college here in the United States and, and I was studying everything that you can imagine about um, social behavioral change, you know, individual and social behavioral change, about um, all the social theories from all the social sciences and disciplines. And I couldn't find the answers really. Everything that I learned was too linear, was, was something like the frame log, you know, like, okay, we do this, then this happened, then this happened, then... Yeah. Some miracle happened, and then we get the result. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that's because social uh, social science still approach social change and human behavior in a somehow linear way. We we get all the framework from the hard sciences, like you know, from Newton, really. And Newton was a physicist, and and he worked in labs, and he works with static matter somehow. So he can describe, and he did describe the world as a big clock, as a big machine, that if you understand the parts, if you study the parts, and you understand how the parts work, you will understand the whole. And the only thing you need is more information, more planning, more predictability to be able to control humans, to control behavior, to control nature, to control science. And so social scientists start using that approach to understand, to study, to predict, and to control human behavior, but it doesn't work that way. And then doing my, my doctoral program, I ran into complexity science, one of the authors, and 
that hit me in the face because complexity science really comes from the very hard sciences. We talk about astrology, um, um, mathematician, you know, mathematics, computer, quantum physics, for instance. And that, so I start something that has nothing to do with my field or my college. And I convinced my doctoral committee to trust me to say, I want to do my dissertation. You know nothing about this, but I want to do my dissertation at the intersection between complexity science and social sciences to really explain how society change and how, how they work and how they change. And they trust me, fortunately. And they I became a scholar of, of um, complexity science. And complexity science is not really one science. It's more like a, a field, a, a body of disciplines and theories that come from all these different disciplines and sciences that specialize in study complex adaptive systems. This, what it means is anything, any, any, really anything that is uh, formed by multiple elements, that can be even a couple, you know, like a, a relationship, an interpersonal relationship. So anything that is more than one element that they interact with each other in an interdependent way. And therefore, their behavior is in reaction to each other and to everything else in the environment. And therefore, is adaptive. That is a complex adaptive system. It's complex because we cannot predict it or control it. It's adapted because it, their behavior depends on the interactions of the elements. And it's, it's systemic because there are multiple elements. And so I, I, I said, this resonates a lot with what we do. We work with complex adaptive systems that are groups, organizations, communities, societies. So they might be something in complexity science that might inform the way we approach social change. And I start doing that. And that's what complexity science is. They, they said, and system thinking, the whole field of system thinking in general, what it says is anything that involves humans is complex for the nature of human itself. So because it's complex, we cannot address them in a linear way. We have to understand all the complexities. We have to understand that the pattern of the system change when the pattern of the interaction of its elements change. Mm -hmm. And if you apply this to organizations, for instance, is you can give all the instructions in the world, you know, be, be very, very detailed about the instructions, and every person is going to understand the instructions and interpret the instructions according to their own filters. Mm -hmm. So giving instructions doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to behave this exactly the way you want them to behave. For you to, as a leader, to be able to lead uh, systemic change, lead a system to change and to develop and to solve complex problem, really it takes two things. One is to become, as a leader, to become a facilitating leader instead of directing leader. Mm -hmm. And facilitating is to create the conditions for the system to get together, to figure it out, to under, really understand the problem, to diagnose it, to come up with possible solutions and to experiment. So your role as a leader is to create the conditions, to remove obstacles, and in most cases, to get out of the way. So the system can do actually what is designed to do that is solving complex problems and evolve. 
most of us as leaders, we in our in our um, paradigm that leadership is the one that has all the answers instead of the ones that have the best questions, we get in the way of the system and we become a bottleneck. We become an obstacle for the system to really expand their capacity, to really tap into the collective, creative, and intelligence of the system to figure things out. So it's a, it's a very important shift of paradigm in terms of how we understand leadership and how we understand our role of as leaders in any human group. Oh my goodness, this is fascinating. And I just want to point out something that I, I completely have been talking about as well. And that has to do with the fact that we're we're moving from directing, you said, to to facilitating and that um, we want to get out of the way, right? We want to create the environment. We're not the ones who know everything. If we have better questions, we're going to 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 put this into place and it's going to evolve in the way that it should, right? And so I love where you're going with this and your explanation was super clear for people who don't even have any experience with it. I love that. And another area that I think that we have in common is um, I have, and my, my listeners know my passion for expanding humanity and business. And so I know that you you speak a lot about social consciousness and the need for business leaders to get involved in that social consciousness. So I'd love to kind of take where we were going with this and transition it into that. Yeah, well, uh, part of that shift in leadership uh, approach and role implies a completely different uh, mindset too, mm -hmm. and a different level of consciousness. I is is good to see I'm, I'm optimistic in general i mean i i'm very i'm a scientist so i'm very skeptical about many things and that's good and actually i promote that to be very skeptical and i'm going to go back to that in a moment but uh, at the same time i i see when things are making progress i can see it from a complexity science perspective saying like how the system is evolving and even when it, we we think that there are some backlashes i mean and, and we have going back even here in the United States, almost 50 years in terms of, for instance, women's right and other minorities' right, even then is the system is always moving forward. It's always evolving in one direction or the other. Our role as a leader is not to control the direction of the, uh, of the system, but to influence it, to shape it, to kind of push it in certain direction with our actions and the way we lead. But it takes... I think the hardest part is it takes for leaders to really change their mindset and to really work on their mindset. We don't have the right mindset, most of us, to lead a, a, a massive systemic change. And that's one of the things that we make more, let's say, a lot of emphasis on massive, the, you know, the, the company that I have is to work on the mindset of the leader because you need to change a lot of things. One of the things talking about consciousness is to, is to develop what I call a systemic consciousness. It means to really understand your system, the system that you're working, the system that you're part of, to understand the system and all its complexity and see how everything 
is affected and at the same time affects everything else. Everything we do, everything we say, our policies, even the agendas of the meetings affects everything else at the same time. And it's affected and influenced by everything else. So when you develop that conscious, systemic consciousness, you kind of, it's like seeing the metrics, you know, you start seeing patterns and seeing connections where for other people is invisible. You can see them. And that that um, helps you to connect the dots about, okay, how the certain policies that were supposed to promote, I don't know, productivity actually are sexist. And how, um, you know, if I, in, if I promote certain policies or certain rules or procedures or something to um, make people of color feel more inclusive, they might affect somebody, something else or somebody else. It's just having that level of awareness about what really happens in the system. That's one of the mind shifts that um, we have to develop as newly developed systemic leaders. But the other one, the other kind of consciousness that we're talking about that that is really important too, is to develop seven traits that is is the, those seven traits is what I call the indomable mindset, the mindset of an indomable person leader. And indomable is a, is a Spanish word that loosely translates to impossible to domesticate. And I'm using this word to explain how one of the first steps that we need to, to take is to decolonize our own mind. And that's part of the level of consciousness that we need to reach. Decolonize our mind means that we become aware of how socialization have shaped the way we see the world, our beliefs, our, you know, our views, our values, and to really be skeptical about not only what we receive from the outside, you know, not only the news, the information, what other people do and say, not only be skeptical about that and understanding where those reactions and events and situations and performance come from, but also to understand how our own mind has been colonized and our own beliefs and, and values and views have been influenced by the way we have been socialized. And be skeptical about that too. And skeptical about your own mind is extremely hard to achieve, but it's possible. Is when you achieve a level of critical mind that you question what your mind tells you about who you are, what is true and what is not true, and what is possible and not possible for you and for others. And when you achieve that level of critical mind or a skepticism, healthy skepticism, then you open your, you really you open your eyes to a lot of things that are possible and a lot of things that can be and should be changed that you haven't seen before. And from that position, you're in a better position to lead change. And the other things that is related to that is the ego mastery. I mean, ego is part of our is part of our psyches. As human, we not only cannot avoid to have a, an ego, but it's also is necessary for survival. I mean, we need the ego to understand the outside, you know, the world, to understand how we are part of the world and how we differentiate, and to understand ourselves, to know who we are. You know, when we look at self ourselves in the mirror. 
So ego is can be a healthy part of our and actually can be very productive if you manage it well, can be very um, useful to lead uh, systemic change, to lead others. But our ego is there, is designed and is there to protect us. And that means that our mind and our ego in our mind is going to see everything as a threat. Everything is going to be fearful. Everything is going to be scary and a threat and, and a risk and is going to work through us, through our emotions. And our emotions are going to drive our actions. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we don't do or we don't say is because we want to feel something or we want to avoid a feeling. When we understand that, we are in capacity, we're more able to manage our thoughts and our emotions in a way that is aligned to our purpose, to what we really want to do, to show up the way we really want to show up that is a better leader and a better person and a better parent and a better cop, you know, partner and everything. So just, just to give you a couple of, of the traits, of the seven traits that I think a leader need to work on themselves before even considering leading uh, a massive systemic change. We need to work on ourselves first as complex out of the systems that we are as humans. Wow. You know, um, I think that this is the awareness is the key to all of this. We need as leaders, we need to be the first ones to become critically aware of um it, it, i do a lot with um belief systems right judgments and beliefs but it's the same thing you know we have to become aware of the beliefs and aware of where the beliefs may have come from in order to be able to change them right so i i love the focus on this awareness and that you have you do have a whole system for it so this is a great segue into telling us a little bit more about what massive does and and how people can maybe learn a little bit more about it massive came up uh was created a kind of serendipity or or actually i'm gonna i'm gonna use the words that you said nothing is really by chance i mean we are here as a result of everything all our experience and the and the relationships that we built that help us growth and I've been working for many years, decades with activists, people without power on how to fight, teaching them, leading, coaching them, working with them on how to fight the system for their rights. Mm -hmm. But I reached a point where I said, it's time for me. I'm going to keep doing that. I will. I, I'm still working with activists. I have a program that is called Self-Coaching for Activists that is about building mental and emotional resilience and strategic leadership. I'm going to keep doing that. But I reached a point in my life that I said, I think the next step for me, the next challenge for me is to work with people that has power. And by power, I mean the capacity to make things happen. Power comes in the term, in the form of, uh, resource, you know, money, time, influence, branding, you know, like they, they already have the conditions and the capacity to make things happen. And I said, it's time for me to work with people that has power and not for them to fight the system for other people's right, but to change the damn system. Yes. And I think in that way, I think that entrepreneurs, actually business leaders are in a 
very they have a competitive advantage to actually make systemic change because they have the advantage of having somehow the financial autonomy that nonprofit sector don't have and have the political autonomy that the public sector don't have. Mm-hmm. So we we have as, as entrepreneurs and as business leaders, we have a competitive advantage to really take on systemic change. But then I said, what do they need? Why, what a leader that comes from the business um, sector and that is used to lead in a very traditional business way, you know, like it's not the, the same way you lead a business, an organization, that the way you lead a system, a complex system, a society to change, for instance. And even organizations right now are so complex that you we cannot keep leading the same way, period. But it's, my question was, and my quest, and my studies start focusing what leaders need to develop as skills, as qualities that would actually significantly improve their chances to make a dent in the universe, to really shape history. So Massive works with the category we, we call history shapers. And when I study history shapers, I realize that they have four qualities that we need to have if we really want to make an impact. One is a calling, a very strong calling. You have to have that calling from within you. You cannot adopt it. Somebody cannot give it to you. You cannot make it up, you know, like, oh, now I'm going to focus on this because I, you know, I care about, I don't know, peace word, you know, word peace, whatever. Um, you have to have that calling. And that calling usually comes from an experience you had as a child or even adult comes from something that really traumatized you at some point in your life or something that hurt, really hurt in your heart, something that is hard for for you to live with without doing anything about it. Mm -hmm. And you know you have that calling when you reach a level of success, you have fulfilled all your basic needs and there's still a niche. And some something is itching, something is is a yearning that no coping mechanism is fulfilling. You know, like there is no car that is speedy enough. There is no view that is beautiful enough. There is no enough traveling. There is no, when you reach a level, when you said, this is not enough, I don't want to go to bed with this yearning. That's your calling. You have to figure it out what it is and you have to answer it because that's what you're you're here to do. Right. So all history shaper has a very strong calling. They have an, a, a very strong brand. And this is important because a brand is not marketing. A brand is not a fake face that you put in the, fa- in the, in the world. A brand is the experience that other people have of your values and your beliefs. It's how the world experiences you and everything you believe in. So having a very strong brand is important because no one can change the world by themselves. You need a movement. You need a community. You need people that align with you, not followers, not buys in, but actually someone that join you in that cause. Therefore, part of your branding, you need a very compelling, powerful message, something that people will be will hear and they will feel the message, not just understand it, but saying like, yes, that's me. I believe in that is exactly what I think. 
And, and I want to join you, not follow you, join you in your struggle, in your, in your uh, challenge. So you have a strong brand, a powerful message, and you have uh, a strategy for change, and you have an indomable mindset. And the indomable mindset is what makes the difference between wanting something to happen and make it happen. Because when you have all the traits of an indomable mindset, you have you master your ego, you have a critical mind, you have a strategic vision, you have systemic consciousness, you grow yourself all the time. You have like the quality of infinite growth. You're resilient and you're creative in, in the, you know, big way of understanding creativity. Then you can really reach what, what you want. If you have all those four com uh, components. So massive I, I partnered with someone that is very spiritual, very highly conscious man, American man. And he's, he's, he specialized on branding from the soul. That is that kind of branding. And he's also the master of language. He can tr translate any combination of emotions and strong feelings and beliefs into the most powerful messages. So between his qualities and his skills and expertise, my partner, Justin, uh, teaching and coaching our clients through, you know, their branding process, their strategy, you know, how you're going to make your cost profitable if you have to, if you want to, if you need to, but also how you develop that powerful message and how to become a real powerful thought leader. And uh, what I contribute is how to develop the indomable mindset, how to develop that conscious systemic consciousness and the systemic leadership skills that you need to actually lead a movement. And also, you know, having put it all together with uh, the systemic, also the systemic consciousness of understanding inequalities and social change and all my background on how to, promote and foster social change. All that together, we are capable of leading and coaching people that really want to make a dent on the, in the universe to develop all the skills, all the plans, all the strategy, or the conditions they need to make that happen. Mm. And how can people, if they're interested in that, how can they find you? Well, we have our website is massivechange.co. It's just that CEO. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find us with that name on all the social media, for, for of course. Or you can reach out directly to either Justin Foster or me, Virginia Lacayo, through LinkedIn. And we can just have a conversation. We really welcome people that said, I, I do have a calling, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to move from here. What is the next step? How do I start? And just have that conversation. Because sometimes... Sometimes it's all it takes is to really dream out loud with someone that can see the possibilities and that can help you dream higher. Because one thing that we notice is that no matter how big we think we dream, we're still very small in our dreams. And having someone that can be a good sounding board to say like, and what else? What else is possible? How are your limiting beliefs telling you that that's not achievable for you that you're not the one that who are who do you think you are to do that right uh, or you know like that that 
nobody else has done it, therefore it's impossible to do it. So we, we love to have that kind of conversation. So I invite everybody to just feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to know them. Wonderful. And so don't worry, everyone, we will put the links to reach Virginia and Massive into and Justin, right, into yeah. the show notes for you to easily find them. It's time to close the show. It's gone. And, you know, we could talk for much longer. It's a fascinating topic. Um, do you have any just final parting words of wisdom before we send everyone up? I think that uh, maybe two things, and if if I if I can invite you to have a first step, a f- first action is, if you feel something in your heart that is not fulfilled, and everything that you do is not really help you to fill that void, ask yourself why. Ask your really put your mm-hmm. ask your heart what why it hurts what hurts there, and that might be your calling. And the other thing is really start, if you haven't yet, start doing some mindfulness practice that goes beyond, and I'm gonna, I I know that some people will not like this, but goes beyond that just meditating. Because meditation and even therapy, which I always said that everybody should have a therapist and a coach, but meditation can help you to just be present and be with yourself and maybe understand yourself, but it's not going to help you to understand the rest of the world and your role in it. Mm-hmm. So becoming really making an effort. And there are many resources to do that, to become more a critical thinker, but focusing on how to be become more skeptic of what your mind is telling you about yourself, about others about the world, about what is true and about what is possible. If you work on that, just do, just that is going to change your life. Oh yeah. I love that. That's fantastic. Virginia, thank you so much for your time today and for all of the amazing nuggets of, of wisdom. Um, it, those of you listening, if you just love the show too, please share it out. We love when you do that. We love when you tell us what you liked about it and share. Thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you, Virginia. Have a beautiful week, everyone. Thank you. 